and welcome back to the What The Fork Offsite podcast, a special spin-off podcast where we chat to people who are not sportsmen nor sportswomen. Today's guest, I'm delighted to see, is not wearing a fork clown suit. However, I'm equally as delighted to introduce David Howard Thornton, also known as Art The Clown. First and foremost, how are things for you, David? Are you all right? I'm doing as well as I can. You know, been battling technology for a few seconds here, but <laughs> I'm I'm here. <laughs> Little be known to everyone listening to this. That's the seventh time we've done that, isn't it? And it was so natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keeping it going. We were just yeah. like, yeah, this is the first time we've ever spoke. We literally know each other's life inside out. We've done that seven times. But yeah, technology has been tough because I think everyone's calling everyone because there's this little thing called... COVID-19. Um, how are things in America with that right now? Yeah, it's batshit crazy here right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I live here in New York City, so I'm like right in the heart of all this craziness. So you know, I I only go outside if I have to get my groceries or I have to do laundry. And then I go right back and like wash my hands, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to deal with all this craziness. I'm playing some kind of game of dodgeball or something like that because <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm, I'm playing dodge the human instead. So I'm just like, yeah, then you always get that one idiot that just stands in the middle of the aisle and pulls out their phone or something. I'm like, what? what? No, I don't know either. I had a, like last week when I went to go buy groceries. This one woman, it was on Cinco de Mayo, so I think she just wanted to be drunk all day. She walks in, she's she's got a glass of wine in her hand. She has no gloves on, no uh, mask on, nothing like that. And she stands right behind me while I'm in the checkout line. And I'm about to turn around and just go into her, like step off. <laughs> you <laughs> should have. Uh... Wear the oh, outfit. Manager beat me to it. He's like, "Ma'am, you gotta leave." He's like, "You cannot be in here with uh, without protection. You're not allowed in here without a mask and gloves." And she starts, "What? This is America. I can do whatever I want to do." Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I'm not gonna come here anymore. We're like, "That's what we want you to do. Not come in here. Bye bye." <laughs> you know, the the best thing about that is if she if she only had seen you in the clown outfit. She oh, I've not done that. Like, oh, I, I, that's the thing. It's like too bad I can't just walk around with the full makeup on at all times. People would just give me all the distance. But you can because it's American. You can do what you want. <laughs> oh, so so stupid. It's just like <laughs> it's my freedom. It's my. Fr I'm like, yeah, I, I, I want to have my freedom to not get sick. So step off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I get that. I think it's happening. Unfortunately, worldwide and now and again, isn't it? But um, I mean, lock, lockdown in, in truth is, is kind of scary, but I think everyone's yeah. coping with it in their own way. And how is it that you are coping and staying entertained? I, I'm playing a lot of video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like watching a lot of like TV and movies right now. Like it's it's <laughs> I'm, I'm an entertainment junkie anyway. So this is in a, in a weird way, I feel like I've been training for this my whole entire life because I'm such a homebody anyway. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably faring better than a lot of people that are used to going out all the time and partying. And I'm like, ah, I'm, this is fine. <laughs> this is giving me a chance to actually catch up on some things. So I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, anyone who listens to the the show, obviously, which hopefully all ten of them are listening to this one as well. Um, 
we'll know that we like to go right back to sort of your very beginning, I guess, as far back as you want to go. Um, I know a little bit about your history, but how did you get into to acting and, and what was your pathway? Well, I would say it was my parents that were my pathway. I, um, my mom and dad were like very involved with our church's theater when I was a kid. And so my mom would direct a lot of shows. My dad would act in them. And so that kind of got my foot in the door at a very early age. And I, I kind of liked it, but it, it really wasn't until I was in middle school because I was bullied a lot growing up because uh, I grew up in Alabama and mm. Alabama is one of those very sports oriented states yeah. <laughs> where it's all about football. So it's, it's the, I, I wasn't a very athletic kid when it came to like football, like, you know, American football, not like, you know, <laughs> everybody else was, you know, soccer was, we call <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i played soccer growing up so that that was a football i could do <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so it's like yeah i i, I was like uh I, I was a late bloomer too so i was i was the shortest person in my class and skinny as a rail with glasses and braces and i was a boy soprano in the choir too so easy target easy easy target for bullying then and so I, I was bullied a lot and, and I was very quiet in school because of that. And at home, I was always very crazy and doing funny characters and stuff. And my mom said, have these kids ever seen that side of you at school? I'm like, no, they won't let me. And I was like, well, this year, you know, the, the, the choir department's doing a production of Mickey's Christmas Carol. You do a really good Mickey Mouse impersonation. Why don't you play audition for the role of Mickey Mouse? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And I did, and I got the part. And we're doing the show one night and everything goes wrong on stage that could possibly go wrong. Like set fell down on top of us, all this kind of stuff. And, and I didn't stop. I just kept going with the scene and just started improvising on the spot and cracking jokes as Mickey Mouse. And I had everybody just cracking up. And, and I, that's when I, it's like, wow, this is like the first time mm, all the people that were making fun of me weren't making fun of me. They were laughing with me instead of at me. And I was like, Oh, this is a great feeling. I like this. I'm in control right now. I have the power for once. <laughs> yeah, uh, I get that. It's really nice. I'm bringing happiness and joy to people. I love this. And so that's when everything kind of clicked. And my mom then was like, well, we need to get you involved in doing like community theater. And so she started doing that. And that's really where I cut my teeth was uh, in acting, was doing a lot of community theater because I was able to learn from actors that have been doing it for years. And so I, I learned from my betters and I was able to hone, like, hone my own skills that way. So that's what got me into it. Um, oddly enough, I didn't get my degree in theater, though. I got my degree in teaching elementary school. And but I, I lost my mom to cancer back when I was in college. And that kind of changed my whole perspective on what I want to do with my life, because I was trying to first be very pragmatic and practical about, you know, an acting career is not a stable career path. I, I can support a family with a teaching degree you know, as a teacher, but that's not necessarily certain for, you know, as an actor. And that whole with my mom's passing, I realized life's too short not to uh, do what you really want to do with your life, not pursue your passions. And so I was like, you know what, I'm I want to do this instead with my life. And 
my dad fully supported me and which I did not expect because he's a very pragmatic, you know, he's a former NASA engineer. So he's very, you know, you know, this is how everything is. This is how the world works. Very logic based person. And he was like, no, this is what we, your mom and I always thought you need to do with your life, but we didn't want to tell you what you had to do with your life. We wanted you to figure it out for yourself. You did a lot of like really good physical acting as well, though, didn't you? Like physical comedy and stuff like that. Yes, that's that's what that was my love. I, I mean, because I grew up watching the great physical comedians, you know, the, especially a lot of the good silent clowns like, you know, Keaton and Chaplin and Harpo Marx and especially Mr. Bean. My 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 aunt, when I was a kid, well, I was a teenager, she got me a box set of all the, the Mr. Bean videos. And I just sat there and devoured those. I would watch him over and over and over again because I loved Rowan Atkins. It's like, uh, he's such a great physical comedian. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I want to be able to play a character like that because I love that kind of silent, mischievous character. And I was like, I want to play a character like that one day. Weird how I, you got to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, that, that's like when the, the chance to play art came along, I had to take it because I was like, oh, my God, this is my chance. I finally get to play a Mr. Bean-like character, but he's evil, even better. <laughs> when you – I mean, the reason I love horror is because I watched horror as a kid. I was introduced to it like at like six-year-old with like the weirdest things. Um and that kind of shaped me. It was fine and made me have a, a really tough stomach. But what what movies did you watch growing up as a kid then? Because obviously if you loved acting, what was the first things that you watched on TV? Well, oddly enough, I didn't really watch horror until like my senior high school because yeah. my mom's so afraid of horror films. So that kind of like <laughs> I, I was afraid of her of I was afraid of them because of her. And it wasn't until like Scream 2 came out and a lot of people from on my cast was going out to go see it. And there was a girl in the cast I liked. And I was like, well, I can't chicken <laughs> out. I got to go. I got to be like tough. I got to go see this movie. So I did. <laughs> I loved it. And that's what really got me into horror. But before then, I mean, I, I watched everything else. I mean, as I would say my favorite movie of all time is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's the movie that got me into wanting to do movies in the first place. Because I, when that movie came out, they put a special on TV on how they made the movie. It was an hour-long special, and I had never seen how movies were made. And I found it to be absolutely fascinating. And that's also where I learned about all these great voiceover actors as well, like especially Mel Blanc, who did all the, the Looney Tune characters. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I would love to be able to do something like that one day. And I, I learned how to um, – that's my, my specialty is doing character voices. I do over 200 of them, and that's what really started that ball rolling. Like Who Framed Roger Rabbit started a lot with me. <laughs> I watched the uh, – I can't remember how – literally just about two hours before we, we, we started speaking, I watched mm-hmm. the written nine impressions in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. I, I wrote them all down just so I could remember because <laughs> but I, I did that in two takes and it was only it, I did it in two takes because the first take I, I was actually sitting in the dressing room of where I was on tour at the time and people kept on coming over the loudspeaker and in, interrupting it. So I was like, ah, OK, <laughs> <laughs> so we did two takes and edit it together that way. So but yeah. And I had just gotten over a horrible, horrible cold, so my voice wasn't totally back to where it was. But I was like, that was my last day on on tour, so I was like, oh, I got to do it now or never. (laughs) 
there's so many questions I have now, like about the the impressions that and, and everything. But I don't want to go to. I don't want to hit Terrifier just yet. Did Scream Two or, or seeing like a horror movie and, and maybe not being scared by it, maybe kind of seeing it, the meaning behind it and the story and the plot as opposed to it just being a horror. Did that make you delve more into other horror movies at the time? It, it really did. I, I mean, like I, I think Scream is a that that whole franchise is a great introduction to the especially the slasher genre because it's, it's a slasher itself, but it also comments on slashers which yeah. is a brilliant concept i'm like wes craven what a mind <laughs> genius absolute genius yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm with you absolute genius like his his idea to put like six to seven to eight movies into like one movie which maybe teenagers might watch and then go back and watch other stuff and having the rules of horror movies in the movie like yeah. it's just just the best like it scream is timeless um and obviously yeah. Wes Craven is it is an absolute genius um did you sort of start on slashes then or did you did you start like elsewhere I think everyone goes like has one movie then to go to like something like The Exorcist or something but did you go down the slasher route then after that I, I did I did but I also like the next year when I went to college my roommate he he came from a very conservative uh southern baptist family so he never seen horror movies either and so we're like well we don't have <laughs> parents telling us we can't watch this stuff now so we would go every weekend and buy well not buy but like rent stacks of tapes and catch up on all those horrors. we would just binge we 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 didn't even stick to a genre we just saw it's like okay you let what okay i hear omen's really good so let's watch this and text chainsaw massacre and uh let, let's get a uh, sleepaway camp and you know, like we would just grab these and just watch them all weekend and so it was that was fun Best times discovering oh. movies and things like that. You've obviously watched horror movies and things like that. And I know you've done a lot before Terrify. Obviously, I know you've done um, The Joker. You did before. You acted in a few things before that as well. But I think that the big thing that probably kicked off your career, and, and most people know you as, is as art. But before you go for that movie, you've never really been in too many horror movies. I mean, The, the Joker is The Joker, absolutely. But what attracted right. you in particular to that audition knowing what it maybe entailed or having an idea of what it entailed? Well, I had seen All Hallows Eve originally before yeah. I had auditioned for it. So I already knew the character and I loved the character. It was like when I first saw him, I was like, oh my God, he is like an evil Mr. Bean. I was like, that's an awesome character. I, I love that. I love this character. I would, I would love to have a chance to play a character like that. And it would just happen that they need to, you know, find a new art to clown because the original actor that played him, Mike Ginelli, didn't want to come back to the role. He just wanted to do other things with his life. So it's like it, it worked out perfect that way. So I was like, oh, this is great. Plus, I've always loved playing villains. I, I love villains. I think villains are always so interesting because there's so many different types of villains. They all have different motivations, but there's always something that's happened in their past that's made them that way or something. It's just, I love that about them. There's a, there's a lot of meat to those type of characters. And yeah, it's like, this is a great idea for a character. Plus he's like, n not only is he silent, so that gives me an, an opportunity to do that kind of acting, but he's, He's a very charismatic character, too, which you don't usually see from the silent horror slasher villains. They, usually they're just, you know, uh, they just walk around and maybe cock their head to the side and stab somebody. Like, it's like art. It's like kind of I, I kind of look at art as like an amalgamation of all the best aspects of every single horror slasher villain that's come before him. 
he's got elements of Freddy Krueger and Mike Myers and Jason and Pinhead and Leatherface, all those guys. He's, 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 he's all of them all wrapped up in one. And that's what I love about that character. And I was like, I, I have to play a character like this. This is wonderful. When you, cause I think Mike Ginelli did, did he go do a music career after that? Is that right? I don't know. <laughs> the funny thing is like, I, I've, I've briefly talked to Mike online, but we've actually never sat down and met face to face. Oddly enough, because he's like one of Damien's best friends too, but we still have not met. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Did you, cause it must be quite hard doing a role, which is cause all, obviously all Hallows Eve was, even though I'm, I'm quite new to terrifying myself, I, I knew of all Hallows Eve and I knew of Art the Clown. Um, and then when someone's played it already, does that, is that an exciting thing or is it a, do you worry a little bit? Is there some nerves because you're taking on like someone's role who, you know, obviously did a good job the first time around as well. It's a little bit of both because like, you know, when, when I first saw Mike's interpretation of the character, I loved it. But I also was like, there were some things I was even thinking in my head the first time I saw. I was like, man, there were, I, would, I would do some, I would add more to this character anyways, because I, I want, you know, I, I, I love physical comedy. I want to add more of those, you know, physical clowning aspects to him since he is a clown. Yeah. And so I want to do that. But at the same time, it's that whole thing on set, stepping on Superman's cape. You don't want to do that. You know, like, you you don't want to go too far off of what someone did originally. Yeah. A great example of that is like, you know, the, um, Robert England is his version of Freddie. And then when Jackie Earl Haley took over and it just wasn't the same. It's Bad just idea. Like, <laughs> yeah. It is. And, and Jackie Earl Haley's a fantastic actor, but it's like, yeah. what Robert, it was like, it, it's, it's a, it's a very daunting task to take over for what someone has, who had already cemented the, the look and feel of the character already with, you know, it, it, it's scary to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know how I am as a fanboy when I see uh, a different version of uh, a different actor playing a character that's already been, you know, I can become an icon is like you're so used to this one version of the character and seeing someone do a different version of it you you can be a little bit you know i know how i am i i can be very very critical <laughs> yeah absolutely i think you you are you like that naturally as a as you said as a fanboy like especially in in horror especially mm-hmm especially in that and that's i was like oh god because uh, I, I remember like when they originally cast heath ledger's the joker i was like oh no <laughs> yeah i was the same i how was wrong were we <laughs> oh how wrong were we i was like oh my gosh but i i remember how how i was like oh i'm hating on him blah blah, blah. and on the, the the opposite side of that, I look at like when they cast Jared Leto as Joker, I was like, oh, he'll be great. <laughs> and how wrong were we? <laughs> and then I totally tear apart his total interpretation of the character. But I, I know how I am. I'm very opinionated when it comes to things I really am passionate about. Yeah, of course. Like, oh, God, this is all going to come back and bite me in the ass now that I'm taking over art from some like all the fans are going to come after me hard now. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so I was very, very worried when Terrifier first came out. It's like, oh, God, oh, God, how are people going to react to my version of the character? <laughs> I can imagine it being like, because that's the thing, like if you're in a role and someone else is then taking it, 
nine times out of 10, the second person isn't as good as the first because you've already kind of made that relationship with the first person. Yeah. Like Robert Englund, for example, is that that's Freddie. It will always be Freddie. There's no way you can, he could be anyone else. And I, no. I don't think anyone could take that role. And that's just because people have cemented that in their minds of that's who that is. And because oh, right. there, there is the facial features, like, and you have that with art as well. You have the facial features, like it is somebody's actual face. Yes. There's a lot of makeup and stuff. Um, but that was one question I did want to ask the makeup, even though you can see it is your face, you can see the makeup is there. How long does that makeup take? too long <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes about three hours sometimes a little bit more sometimes a little bit less depends on what scene we're doing because he goes through different you know versions you know he, he, he gets bloodier and bloodier and sometimes battle damaged as the the movie progresses so <laughs> so it depends but it's, it's usually about three hours i would say is that quite arduous then? Because obviously everyone loves acting and doing the acting part of it, but I love watching movies. I can't imagine ever wanting to sit and wait three hours to watch a movie, but as an, as an actor, it's different because you kind of got to go through that. But is that quite frustrating? It can be because I, I have to get, like Damien and I have to get to set earlier than everybody else because it takes longer to get me into everything. Mm -hmm. So that, that can be a bummer because my days are longer than everybody else's on set because not only does it take those three hours to put it on, it takes another hour to usually to get it all off. Cause I have so much glue on my face. I, I have to just scrub down and all this. So I, I usually have longer days on set than most people, which can be very tiring at times, but at the same time, oddly enough, sitting in that makeup chair, time goes by very fast. I don't know why that is. I would think it would go very slowly considering, you know, what I'm going through, but it's like, no, it goes pretty fast. It's a quite interesting scene, like even though you, you know what's coming because you've done it a few days in a row or a few weeks in a row, but it's a quite fun just seeing the build up all over again and see you transform into that character. Does that actually help with the kind of uh, the, the role of the character itself, seeing that build up and having that time to look at yourself in the mirror? Does that help mm -hmm. your role? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's like, I, I've, I'm, I'm that type of actor. Uh, like it, I, I don't fully feel like I'm the character until I'm fully in costume and makeup. Yeah. Uh, I like every, every role I've played, um, especially when I was doing theater, I would sit in front of the mirror for a good, like 20, 30 minutes, just making faces and just seeing what all I could do with the makeup see how everything reads and th that, that really helps me get into character. But like, I'm also one to say once I'm in that, the costume and makeup, I can turn the character on and off easily. It's just, I, I'm not one of those method actors where I have to be the character all day long and uh, interact with everybody in that as the character, I, as soon as they're saying, okay, rolling, I can take like a second or two just to get the headspace. I'm like, okay, Let's go. And as soon as I say cut, I can just turn it off. And I'm like, oh, are you OK? I didn't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of the experiences that the fans have had. A lot of the, the interactions that fans have had, people seem to really buzz off. Sometimes you go in, in full character and full makeup. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Much fun. Because I when I when I do the the in costume photo ops, I don't talk at all. I, I do it all fully in character. Cause I, I figure, you know, I want to give people the full experience. It's not, Absolutely. that's something that's pretty, you know, unique. I, I know Kane Hodder is the same way when he does Jason. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's like, if, if people are going to pay money for that experience, might as well give them the full experience. 
and it's fun. It's, it's to me, it's a great acting exercise too, because you know, when I'm on set, I have a script I'm sticking to and I know what's going on. It's like when I'm interacting with people like that, you never know what's going to happen and you can have some fun moments that way with people. I, 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 I love to like sneak up on people and scare them. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, the best experience you've had? Because I mean, like I say, I know what a horror family can be like and they are probably up there with the most passionate film fans, but what's the best experience you've had just because you've played the role of art, the clown. Like, uh, like experiences like with like, creeping up on people or uh, just <laughs> any, I suppose, I suppose, like, have you had any experiences from fans where you just, you know, it's brightened your day. You didn't expect it or, or whatever it may be. Oh yeah. I, it, what, what has really brightened my day speaking of fans. Cause I'm, I'm, I love that, that, that in itself is just an amazing experience right there. I've had so many great fan experiences just, you know, especially when I'm in costume, I, I've had people just full out, you know, like this, hyperventilate in front of me it's not because I'm scared they're just so excited and it's, it's that's a weird thing to me because to me i'm still david thornton like the the geek from alabama so i'm like wow someone's really <laughs> freaking out this much over me this is amazing but it's like, i'm just me <laughs> it's so cool to see someone have that kind of reaction to the character but on top of that when you find out someone that you have like been a fan of yourself you know their works you find out they're actually a fan that's even a cooler thing it's like <laughs> so I, like some of the celebrities i've met at these have come over and they're like oh my gosh i love your i've enjoyed your work you know just like this is you're like, what what <laughs> <laughs> like doug jones and bill mosey people like that it's just like are you kidding me? <laughs> I Dang. love you. <laughs> yeah, Bill Mosley. Holy shit. Like, that's like, yeah, I would feel the same. I mean, I haven't done anything in any movie, so it would be really surprising for me. But um, you, I'm pretty sure you did a UK convention last year, right? Not yet. I almost did. But we, I, I think we had to cancel for, uh, what was it? Oh, because we had a film. Was it? I, yeah. You know, it was supposed to be a hard con and we had to cancel because of film. It, it interfered with uh, filming. Ah, I kind of remember that because I was going to ask if you found there's been a, a difference between like Europe and, and America. I suppose maybe if not physically, have you found there's been a difference in reaction from sort of across the pond at that hour end? I, it's been basically, um, from what I've been able to get, cause I haven't been able to go to over there yet. I I'm dying to, I'm dying to, but I'm like, We've been very well received in Europe, not just in England and Scotland and all that. I mean, I've, I've seen like people have made murals out there and which yeah. I, I absolutely phenomenal. Like, holy crap, that's amazing. But like, it's not just there. It's, it's like in Germany and Italy. And I, I've heard from people all over the world, South America is just like, holy crap. It's really cool. I was thinking before of, of how we originally met. I think I was like literally start of lockdown, put Terrifier on, had at least half a bottle of rum and was just like, holy shit, this guy's brutal. Like, and I was like, I'm going to message him. And I think I just sent you a message and said, you're the scariest motherfucker I've ever seen. And I'm a big horror fan. And I remember you just yeah. being like, thanks, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I try to interact as much as possible. I get a lot of messages on in, Instagram and I do my best to at least say thank you or something like that. It can be a yeah. little bit overwhelming at times, but I, I try my best. Does that happen overnight? Does that happen to go from like you get like 
10 messages a day, like you've got all of a sudden like 200 and you just, you do feel a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. And I especially saw that when we first released, it was like, I'll, I remember the day we released, I, I was just constantly, my phone was constantly buzzing all day, just messages on Instagram and Facebook from fans. And I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> and I think that's when it started sinking. I was like, wow, we must have something special. And it did sort of almost happen immediately, didn't it? It did kind of, like I say, I'm new to it and I feel ashamed by that because I've known about it. And when you think how independent it was as a movie, there was no big budget there. And I think that's been made pretty evident um, in a a world that you have at the moment with big budget horror movies. And let's be honest, it's a bit of a throwback and sometimes people don't want throwbacks. It did really well. Did you ever expect it to be that big? Oh God, no. (laughs) Yeah. We had hoped that it would be well received, but we were trying to be realistic with ourselves because we knew what we were. We we were just a very, 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 very low budget independent film. We didn't have any studio backing whatsoever. We almost had to self do uh, do self distribution on this because some people wanted to pick us up and put us in theaters, but they wanted to make massive cuts to the film, which Damien would not allow. He's like, no, this is going, you don't want to cut this stuff. Trust me, trust me on this. If you yeah. keep it as yeah. it's, it's, that's what people want to see. This is, this is what fans want. And, and so it's like, yeah, we didn't like when we released, we didn't have, you know, because when you, when you're part of the studio system, the studios pay all these places to do publicity for you and then to write articles and blah, 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 blah. And you do all this advertisement. We didn't have any of that. So it was all this came through the, the word of mouth of fans and then the independent horror fan sites that did, you know, articles on it. And then all these podcasts that that's how the, how, how it all came about. So it was really the fans that made the movie. It literally, it literally it was the fans that made the, the film a success. It wasn't the studio system. I watched a, a review video. I have an addiction to review videos. I don't know why. Um, and I, it was about, it was, it was a review where the guy didn't like it. And the guy was yeah saying, Oh, I didn't like it. I thought it was gratuitous and this, that and the other and, and so on and so forth. And then I noticed like a month later, um, he had to do like another one where he watched it a second time and appreciated it more because the fans were so like, how can you not like this film? Watch it again right now. And he'd watched it again and was like, oh my God, yeah, this is really good. And I was like, when you get that level of passion in a horror fan, you know you're on a winner, right? Yeah, it's it's insane. I remember when that happened too because everybody let me know that that had happened. Because <laughs> you know, I, I know the film's not for everybody anyways. It's like I, there are some popular sure. horror films out there that I'm not too crazy about because they just not my cup of tea. But it's like, that's the thing. It's like there are different types of horror for different types of people. There's different things scare people. So it's just like, yeah. So, so if someone's not a big fan of it, that's fine. They, you know, it's like, that's fine. Other people are. So that's cool, too. So it's like because I also know it's not a perfect film. <laughs> so it's like uh, no film is pretty well oh, one or two no. so it's like we we wish we could have fleshed out um especially victoria's character more and we wish we could have brought more of a narrative element to it but at the same time we were trying to keep it you know all happening in real time so people were basically seeing things from the perspective of the of the the main characters where the audience didn't were 
basically knew as much as they did about what was going on. So, and it was also harkening back to those old slashers from back in the seventies and eighties that were pretty much bare bones with the plot. Anyways, like you look at Texas chainsaw massacre, there's no plot to that. No. And a few people have said that, like if there has been criticism that I've read, which I've got to be honest, has been very few and far between. Um, the criticism I've seen is sometimes that, Oh, like, I don't know what the plot is and what his motive is. And that's the best part about it. The guy, yeah, you know, art the clown. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just a fucking nutter. That's basically yeah. what he is. And that makes it 10 times more scary. Like you have the scene, obviously there's going to be spoilers in this, by the way, if people are listening because you kind of have to, but, um, the scene with like the woman when he's like being cradled is like the only small nod to the like hang on did something happen there but that that was was that meant to have a nod to it or was that put there just to confuse people in like a kubrick style ending of a movie yeah that, that's that's more what it was is more just to mess with people because that's what art does he's he likes to mess with people he likes to get into people's heads and really fuck around with them before he kills them yeah and yeah. that's what he was doing there that's what he was that like because some people are like oh does this have to do with his origin was he like you know ben as a child or blah 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 like maybe maybe not but like he was doing that because he knew that that was this woman's weakness and that's how he could lure her in for the kill he was messing around with her and that's the scariest part that's what i found because i thought at that point when i watched it i thought oh right okay that's it he's like a an abandoned child he's had no mother and then it was just like oh no well he must really hate his mom if that's the case because he's just yeah. done that um but at, at what point did you going back a little bit at what point did you see the script for terrifier i saw the script after i auditioned for it i saw no script when i went in for the audition so i i just went in there just like not knowing what the movie was going to be about i just knew it was about a killer clown was it more brutal and i have to use that word than you you thought it was going to be yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's one thing to read it on the paper and like because i'm so used to i was also thinking like how i usually see things in horror films anyway it's like oh okay so he's gonna cut her in half great 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 they'll probably just cut away from that and so we won't see all that happening it's like oh whoa no we're actually showing it holy shit we're gonna show it all awesome all frontal yeah <laughs> yeah that brings me onto that scene now, I mean this in two ways. I mean, for you for mentally, because I can stomach a lot of stuff. And even that made me go, whoa, when you got to like her head and her head was just parting, I was like, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she obviously the act, the actress herself was obviously hanging upside down at this point as well. So yeah. when I say, was it uncomfortable? I mean, for everyone involved, was it uncomfortable for you doing it? Was it uncomfortable for her being upside down for however long it was? It was uncomfortable for me to see her actually suffer for doing what she was doing, because that was not an easy night for her at all. Because first of all, the building we we're shooting in had no heat and it was 20 degrees Fahrenheit in that room. That night, it was it was in the middle of January, I think. So it was very, very cold. And she's having to be in such a compromising position, fully exposed yeah. like that. And then she's upside down like that. And then she's covered in blood, which is even worse because it's all running up into her face and going into her eyes and her nose and skin's freezing cold. And it was, that was hard. And it was, it was also hard because we would only 
film for 30 seconds at a time because we'd only let her hang upside down for about 30 to 45 seconds. Yeah. And they were swinging back up because it's, it's that's not a good thing to do to a human body is that the body cannot tolerate being upside down for that long can do damage. Yeah. And so it, that was challenging itself. We only could film in little 30 second spurts and then we're like, swing her back up and let her rest. It's, it was it was a tough night. But like she did not complain at all. She was you know, the only time she complained was like when some blood went in her eye, which is n- totally understandable it's like ow yeah get it out please and when it went up in her nose at one point because she couldn't breathe it's like oh god you know it's like that's the stuff yeah complain complain but it's like you know she was totally in it because she knew what that scene was going to be she knew this was going to be the scene everybody was going to talk about that this was going to be an iconic scene did you know that was going to be the kill when you read the script though that that was what people were going to connect to Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. So, and that, that's like, and that was like the part of the film that a lot of people wanted to make cuts to. And that's why Damien's like, absolutely not. No. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad he stuck to his, you know, his, his, his vision there, because that's, that's what really made this stand out to a lot of people. It's like, wow, they actually went there. They actually went back to basics and showed the kills happen. Cause a lot of slashers now, they don't even show the kills anymore. That was the best thing about the new Halloween is that some of the kills were like shown and they were brutal. Like that yeah. just doesn't happen anymore. Like that's what the best yes. thing about the the newest Halloween was that it actually happened and you've seen it and it was brutal. Mm-hmm. And the new Chucky. <laughs> but yeah, pe- people like that because, you know, I think people are aware that it's not actually real. Like, but yeah. then at the same time, you can kind of get lost. Like you can in any movie. And if you're a horror fan, you get lost in it. But I've always been really, really interested in like practical special effects and they're, they're my favorites. Like I don't like new stuff. I like old eighties, seventies, like driller killer was like one of my favorites. It's kind of a comedy in a way, but like it is funny. Um, but it is also good. And the effects when he's in the room with the blood splattering everyone, it's always interested in me. Like what do people use? Because I've heard some really weird things that people have used, but for that film in particular, like the blood, the guts landing on the floor, people mm-hmm. being chopped in half. What effects did you use for that? All Damien made them all. So, um, he, he used just basically what, you know, he, he's very much inspired by Tom Savini. Yeah. And yeah. so he, he just took a lot of pages off Savini's book and made the practical and like all the, the prosthetics himself. And like, and they were actually, some of them were extremely detailed. It, it like, uh, for instance, uh, the, um, the face that I'm stabbing into in the pizzeria scene, there were layers to that. It wasn't just the skin and like some foam underneath it. There were like, he actually built like, you know, muscles underneath it. And then he had those, the, some skeletal parts in there and it was like bones and so it was, and he had some blood in there too. So like when he stabbed it, blood would gush out. It's just, it was, what he did was astounding, <laughs> especially on the budget he did it for. It was like this, Damien's extremely, extremely talented when it comes to making these prosthetics and it's it's it it works so well because it's it's something tangible it's like it's one of those things where you're watching the film you know that's something that's actually there physically don't have that disconnect like you can sometimes have like 
as much as I enjoyed the new it movies, you could tell when it was CG and it yeah. took yeah. the moment, you know, maybe on a subconscious level where I wasn't by, it didn't scare me as much. It was like, Oh, that's fake. That's obviously just uh, something computerized. I'm like, ah, it takes me out of the moment there as opposed to like, Oh wow. When you, when you see something like a, a limb cut off and it's actually, Oh wow. Blood spurting out. It was like, Oh, Ooh, geez. It, it adds that extra. Ooh, to it because that's that's actually something you that was actually physically cut it might not have been an actual real arm but sure as hell looked like one yeah i'm so with you on that with terrifier now obviously i know you might know the answer to this and i'm certainly not asking for the answer because it kills it a little bit especially with the second one coming out but before you maybe knew the answer what were your thoughts on what the ending of terrifier meant because i'm still scratching my head i can't get my head around it mm-hmm um, well, it's like, well, we actually added the, the morgue scene after we did a rough cut of the film because people wanted more. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is, we might as well leave something in here. So we set up a sequel. But uh, originally it was the whole movie supposed to be a flashback. So you're, you're seeing that that's really the, the, the whole plot of the movie is like what made this girl lose her mind where she went on a talk show and what disfigured her and what made her lose her mind that she went and killed somebody. And this is, so you're seeing what, what changed a totally sane and rational woman into a killer. And so the, the whole movie is a flashback to that. You know, it's just this whole, I, I kind of liken it to the, uh, the, the killing joke graphic novel with the whole point of that was one bad day can reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. Yeah. And that's what you see happen in Terrifier. My, I, th- I think I, I read somewhere that Damien said about him being in the morgue, mm-hmm. that his thoughts were, and I think he's just dropping little bombs so people just get their minds going like a la Kubrick. You know what I mean? Like I think Kubrick just put stuff at the end of his movies just to fuck with people. I don't think it had any meaning. It just made people speak about it. But he, yeah. I read somewhere that he said it was, the mythology of art is that he didn't realize he had like superpowers where he doesn't die until he died. And then that was it. And I'm like, I kind of like that, but then it also makes him unstoppable, which kind of makes the second one kind of like, okay, shit. Um, things could go really South for a lot of people here. Um, but Mm -hmm. I I suppose just to end on then, obviously we've got terrified too, which will be soon, hopefully when this, shit stops happening um highly anticipated now because of the success of terrifier one which probably didn't have the same level of pressure around two but right do you do you feel any pressure with it and you know what have we got to look forward to in the in this in the second installment oh yeah there's definitely the pressure there because it's like you know it's that whole oh god how are we going to surpass what we've done because there are expectations there so it's like, oh, God, especially with the hacksaw scene. Like, that's one of the things we realized <laughs> after that. We're like, oh, shit, did we already set our bar too high with that scene? Like, people are going to ex- expect, like, how are we going to top that kill? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty like, tough. Yeah. Oh, geez. But I'm like, I, I think I, th- I, I personally feel the Terrifier 2 blows the first film out of the water. I, I think everything that worked in Terrifier we have kept. And then the criticisms that we've had on terrifier, we have addressed to especially the plot reasons, uh, the, the, the plot 
you know, people being upset, they're being light plot. So this one has more of a narrative element to it. So um, we, we've seen art now. Now we're trying to build up his um, his his opponent who is going to be able to take down this guy that now apparently can't die. How, how who's going to be able to do that? Who's going to be the Batman to his Joker? So we're, we're, we're building that up and how this character takes on that mantle finds her calling. And it's, Oh, I love her character. Her, her, she's not your stereotypical, you know, damsel in distress type of character either, which I love about her. She's, she's got an edge to her. And I think whoever's got to go up against art has got to have an edge to them. Sure. And so I, I love her character. It's just fantastic. It's like she's got a great relationship with her, her brother and her her mother as well in this. And it's and it's not your typical you know relationship you see in other horror films too. So that's what I like about it too. But we're also upping the ante on a lot of the kill scenes too. So like for one uh, one thing is like it's not all taking place in one location. Art's venturing out into the world now. I think he's gotten, now that he's come back from the dead, I think he's got more of a, um, a fire under his butt. He's like, oh, okay, game on now. <laughs> so he, he's having more fun. And I think that's what's kind of scary about this guy too. It's like, you know, I, I didn't really talk about it earlier, but it's like, he, he's, he, he's a guy that likes to kill. It's, yeah. it's just fun for him. He is like the, the homeless woman in the first film hits the nail on the head he's doing this because he finds this he thinks it's funny this is entertainment to him and so now that this guy knows that he's basically nigh invulnerable he's like all right game on so he's <laughs> halloween's his night to go out and have fun that's what he's doing and that's when he comes across this other girl and he, there's you know their paths collide and their fates are intertwined in this and i i think it's it's really cool where we're going with it and some of the kills in this are absolutely batshit crazy this one scene that we shot recently is 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 definitely going to be a very controversial scene with the subject matter that's on display in it but i i think it's great i just think definitely going to get people talking it's going to start a dialogue on some things, I think. But the the kills that we have, like there's this other kill because we're like, oh, God, how are we going to surpass the hacksaw scene? There's is, there's a kill that happens later on in the film that is just mean. It is just there's there's no humor behind it at all. It is just you see art's true ruthlessness in the scene. And it's just it's brutal. And it's gory. It is very gory. <laughs> Unbeknown to the the listeners is obviously our the video didn't work. So I've been staring at a picture of art as you're speaking for the best part of fifty minutes now. And you describing that and we're talking we're at one o'clock in the morning in the UK right now. I now have to go to bed at that point and think about that in my head as I'm looking at that for the past hour. So thanks for leaving me with that. Um, oh, I, th oh, I think <laughs> <laughs> David, um, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's incredibly excited for the, the second, um, the second, the second terrifier. I couldn't think of the word I wanted to say there. Um, the second installment is the word I was looking for. Um, but thanks so much for taking obviously the time you have done today in lockdown world, uh, which we're all in at the moment. And I hope sincerely you stay safe. Um, so we can see the second one and, yes. and we can enjoy just as much as we did the first. 
Oh, you will. I guarantee it. I'm like, I, we've, we've had so many moments on set where we're just having fun with it. And that's tell, he's like, when we're having fun, we know you guys will be having fun. So we can't wait to get it out to you guys. This, that's why we want this whole pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we can do that. Yeah. Cause it, it's something else. It's, this is, this is such a love letter to this genre anyways. And it's, I, I, I guarantee you guys are going to love what we have done and I can't wait for you guys to see it so I can talk about the things we have done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. And you have to come back. You have to come back to discuss it when we've, uh, when we've seen it. I'm holding oh, to that. I'd be happy to. There's so much, so much I want to talk about that, you know, people have no idea about yet. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can feel the excitement in myself for the second one. I only seen the first one, what, seven weeks ago or something. Mm -hmm. um, but like you say, it is a love letter to the genre very much so. So it plays directly into my heart as well. But like I say, David, thanks so much for, for coming on. Please Thank do you. stay safe. <laughs>